Thank you for downloading this podcast from Pardes, North America. This episode of the Pardes Parsha podcast features Rabbi Brent Spodek and Professor Ziva Hassenfeld on Parshat Yitro. For the latest episode of the Parsha podcast, please visit elmod.pardes.org. And now, Rabbi Brent Spodek and Professor Ziva Hassenfeld. All right. Hello. This is Rabbi Brent Spodek up in the Hudson Valley, and I am terribly excited to be learning together again with my friend and Chavruta, Ziva. Ziva, how are you doing? And, and remind us, where are you? Great, Brent. As always, it's such a pleasure to be together and to learn Torah together. One of my favorite parshas. Uh, I'm Professor Ziva Hassenfeld up in Boston. Uh, I always say up, but um, I don't really. Well, you know really. Yeah. <laughs> Want to give a shout out to all of our friends who are listening up in Maine or Vermont up, or New Hampshire. Yep, but yep. for most of us, Boston is up. Um, and it is uh, such a pleasure to be here and to learn from you. All right. Well, let's let's jump on in. We're we're looking uh, we're looking this week, of course, at Parshat Yitro. But I want to start because there's so much that that um, happens in each show. It's such a packed parsha. I actually want to start and sort of ground myself in one of my favorite uh, psalms, actually, which has been so important to my own spiritual life. And I think in ways that we'll um, see, I think, have something to say about how uh, the Israelites unfold in Parsha Yitro. But it's Psalm 19. Uh, which begins, mm. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims his handiwork. And for me, and I think for many people, the path to divine connection, the, the path to spirituality runs through the natural world, runs through the glory of creation. And I know for me, living where I live, hiking, uh, being outside is in many ways where I experience the 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 genius, so to speak, of creation. But that's a very personal path. And what I'm curious in Yicho is how it lays out a path for the spiritual growth, not just of an individual, but of the whole people. Yeah, but, I'm excited to hear, because I have to tell you, Brent, I don't really think of Yitro as having to do with, uh, I love, I love the Tehillim you brought, but I don't see the connection. All right. Well, let, let's let's jump into Yitro and we'll see if we can we can bring it back. Um, right. So Yitro, so much happens in Yitro, right? There, there are some partial where it's like this whole partial could be a, we could study for a year. And this is, you know, I think in my humble opinion, one of them, right? And we begin, we begin in many ways with Yitro, not just the partial, but Yitro the man, Yitro the person, Yitro Moshe's father-in-law. Right? And we have this scene right at the beginning, where right at the beginning of the Parsha, where they're reunited. The family is reunited. Moshe tells Yitro, here are all these incredible things that happened. God saved us here and God saved us there. And it was just incredible. Right. And but God saved us at every step of the way. And Yitro responds. Um, I'm looking here at verse uh, 18, 18, 2, 18, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, 18, 12. Right, Yitro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. And Aaron came with all of the elders of Israel to partake of the meal before God with Moses' father-in-law. And 
so I want to highlight two things that Yitro does here that I think are in some ways the education of Moshe or part of the education of Moshe. One of the things that happens in Yitro is that the, the slaves become the Jewish people. But another thing that happens is Moses becomes the leader of the people. Up until this point, Moses had been focused on God in dialogue with God, and appropriately so, right? And he comes and he tells Yitro, here's all the stuff that God does. Yitro does something slightly different. Yitro responds, right, by offering a blessing to God, right, offering a blessing to the Holy One, and also creating a meal and inviting all of the elders, right? Aaron came with all of the elders of Israel to partake of the meal before God with Moses' father-in-law. And the Orachayim, uh, the uh, late medieval, almost early modern commentator, um, uh, the Orachayim says, um, the reason it does not say he invited Aaron and the elders, but Aaron and the elders came to eat with Moses' father-in-law before the Lord. They did not need to await an invitation because the quantity of Yitro's offerings spoke for itself. The elders honored Yitro by joining him without a personal invitation being extended. So Yitro here is teaching Moshe how to be a religious leader, which is different, as any congregational rabbi can tell you, is different than being a religious person. Moshe is perhaps working until this point on being an Ebed Naaman, being a faithful servant, of being in relationship himself with God. And Yitro is very subtly telling him, listen, man, it's great that you're so connected to God. That's fabulous. That's necessary. But I actually need you to shift your focus a little bit from purely Moshe and God, which is a great and beautiful thing, to Moshe and the people and God, right? You need to bring the people in. And so, Mo so Yitro offers a sacrifice publicly, right, in ways that other people can enter into. And he makes space for the Zikna Yisrael, the elders, or perhaps the, um, the, uh, the dignitaries, the esteemed people of Israel. He creates a path for them to be brought in as well. And what Yitro does is teach Moshe that it's not just about you personally as the leader, but it's actually about your posture towards the people and bringing the people towards God, right? That in some way is the first act of our play. Moshe's education from being an Evid Ne'eman, a personally pious person, to being a public religious leader. Let me stop so, there for a yeah. second. So let me ask you, okay. So we're in Parsha Yitro, and Yitro comes, right? He's missed a lot of the action. And Moshe fills him in, right? These are all yeah. things. And and literally, uh, before we get to the verse that you're talking about, Yitro rejoices, right? I, I almost imagined him like dancing uh, and uh -huh. talks about, which you alluded to, how amazing and awesome Baruch Hashem that God is, that he saved us, and God is great. And what you're saying is that Yitro then intentionally shifts from a one-on-one uh, -on -one dialogue with Moshe to opening it up to the community. Is that your argument? Exactly. That Well, that's part of my argument. That's my argument for scene one, right? That Moshe doesn't at this point know how to be a public leader, which isn't any fault of it. Like he hasn't learned that yet. Yitro right. is, I think, educating him. Right. And it's uh, you're right. Pointing out that he rejoices the personal right to be a public leader without the personal is to be a fraud. And Lord knows organized religion does not need any more fraudulent performances of piety. Right. 
Yitro appropriately starts with the personal, and any sincere public leadership has to start with the personal, but he then moves it outward. It doesn't rest with just the personal. I just want to say, I know you have a part too, but like that's, this is such a fascinating idea. And I think that the text holds it so well, because of course, you don't have to make the case that Moshe is an introvert. All of us introverts <laughs> see that in our beloved Moshe, right? But I'm just looking like it's really actually quite astounding. Like Moshe goes and he greets Yitro and then he brings him into the tech, right? So like he wants to tell this incredible Private. story. And it's not only that he's not thinking about his community, but he literally actually uh wants to wants to make sure that him and Yitro have privacy, that they're actually like isolated. And so this idea that, and I've never ever read um the Pasuk that you had a study of Yodbet of 12 in this way, um, but that what the sacrifices are is actually Yitro saying, hey bud, like you can't just tell me this story like alone in the tent. We have to share this. I actually think the text holds it really nicely. And I want to be clear, it doesn't preclude the private. I, I think that to be a sincere religious leader, I mean, and I say this as someone who, you know, works to create religious community where I live, the personal, the private, the intimate is necessary. Otherwise, I mean, otherwise it's really fraudulent, but it's not sufficient. Right. There needs to be an awareness of how do you bring the other people in and how do you prepare the people? And that I want to with that, I want to shift, if it's all right, to to act two, right, to the way the people get prepared. Um, and I think for I, I think for folks who are joining us online, who are themselves in um, positions of religious leadership of one form or another, right? That dynamic between the personal, the intimate, the interior, and the public, the performative, the engaging is a constant dynamic. I know in my life, and I suspect in any religious leader's life, certainly anyone I've ever talked to. But what Yitra is doing is helping to prepare the people for what comes next, even though he doesn't know what's coming next. He's preparing the people in a certain way. So if we if we read a little bit further on, right? Uh, into uh, chapter 19, Yud Tet, right? Yud, uh, if Yud Tet 18 is about Moshe and uh, Yitro, the, our focus shifts in 19 to the people, right? So we have the sort of experience that, again, speaking for myself, I, as a religious seeker, as a, as a spiritual, I, I don't know, um, seeker is really the only word, um, I long for. Right. So here in uh, verse 18, uh, right. That's what I'm looking for. I to see the mountain on full flame. I want to see that divine presence. Has it quite happened yet in those ways? Right. In the sense of like, I am seeing the presence of God. But if we back up a little bit, right? And, and the backing up is important because you think for a lot of folks, it's very easy to be like, oh, right. Well, if God just appeared to me and spoke to me in fire and smoke and said, Brent, this is what I want you to do. If I was confident I wasn't having some sort of, uh, you know, psychotic break, then I wouldn't have any tension about believing. It wouldn't be a question of belief. I would know it the way I know, you know, my own body. It would be right there. But that's not where the story starts. 
The story doesn't start with God on the mountain, the mountain on fire and smoke, and then the people believing. If you back up just a little bit um, to, um, yeah, where'd my verse go here? Uh, it's in chapter 19, the instructions that they have to stand back for three days and they have to wash their clothes, right? Um, right. Moshe tells them in verse uh, six that they are going to be a goy kadosh mamlechet koanim, a holy people. But then he goes and says, here we go, in verse 10, right? Go and make the people holy, right? We haven't yet had the fire and smoke. First, go to the people, them, and, and sanctify them. Make them holy. Hayom umachar bekipsu simlotam. Right? Today, make them holy. Tomorrow, go and prepare their clothes so that they can be ready for the third day uh, in verse 11. Vahayu nechonim leyom hashlishi. Right? And what I'm, what I'm interested in is that question of preparation where Yitro was showing Moshe You've got to turn to the people. You've got to help the people into this. And the people haven't had the experience you've had. Moshe, you had the burning bush. You had God speaking to you. That's amazing way to go. But the people haven't. And so you need to do so. You need to make this sacrifice to bring the people in. And now God reinforces that, that, that instruction, that importance of, uh, of Mechina, of preparation, right? By saying, you got to make them holy. And as part of that preparation, they need to wash their clothes, right? They need to do something in particular to get ready for what's coming next. Let me stop there for a second. How, how's all this landing? It, I mean, I like it. I, I, I want to derail you and talk about the other way they prepare, but uh, all right. I won't. Go for it. Go for it. Well, you know, uh, when you're a hammer, everything's a nail. And I guess... Uh, I'm a woman, but um, what about what about um, staying away from a woman, right? It's not just washing your clothes. Um, does that bother you at all, or should we should we put that in the parking lot today? Um, I, let's let's spend a minute on it because it's a really important point that you bring up, and a really important question of how do we as moderns read read ancient texts? Should I read and, it? Yeah, I just want yeah, to, just, just in yeah, case yeah, anyone is in doubt, right? So, Brent, you yeah, read. Which pasuk are we in? So, we're in 15. You read from us 10, but then, which, uh, you know, to be ready for the third day, make sure you don't go near a woman. So, it both, it both um, requires us to ask, whoa, 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 who's getting ready for the third day, right? Are women getting this special uh, revelation? But also um, other questions about what's, uh, you know, all the questions, but sort of, I can't talk about the preparation in, in, in for Har Sinai and for revelation without thinking about that pasuk. 100%, and I'm glad you brought it. And it really brings a important dynamic. So I do want to spend a minute on this. Of, of of hermeneutics, right? Which is just a fancy word for saying, how do we read these texts, right? How do we how do we come at these texts? So the way, and, and this is um, 
particular to me. I'm, I'm curious how this metaphor lands for you. Um, I tend to think of my Jewish life and Jewish, not just my Jewish life, Jewish life in general, like a Lego set. And I don't know, I know you've got kids. I don't know if they're in or past the Lego stage of things. Uh, my kids are actually, well, deeply in and out in, of the Lego stage. Deeply in. Deep. All right. So if they're deeply in, then maybe you have this happen, right? You're, you're building something in Legos and you build an amazing castle, right? And then it's time to clean up and you put all the Legos back in the bin and they get jumbled up. And then next week you come out to play and that castle is sort of sort of broken down, but there are still parts of it still together. But now you take what had been the corner of the castle and the same Lego bricks that are there, but now you build it into a boat or a dragon or a spaceship. Right, it's the same bricks and even some of the same components, but it's not the same thing. Right, last week it was a, a castle. This week it's a spaceship, and so I the the hermeneutic that I bring to the Jewish textual tradition as a whole is how can I engage with these bricks in order to build a meaningful spiritual life in 2022, right, or 2023, as as the case may be, right. So, um, right, Rashi later on says that it's this day, Hayom, and that Sinai should be and can be every day. And I'm going to get, I want to come back to that, Rashi. But speaking for me, the framework which says in order to experience the divine, I have to prepare for that. That, that that's a Lego piece. I want to, that's a little chunk of the older building that I want to carry with me into this new building, because that makes a lot of sense to me. The part that says it's only men or it implies that it's only men and the women not only are not part of what needs to be preparation, they're in fact the problematic thing we need to, we, the guys, need to separate from, represents a, a misogyny and a, I'd say also a fear of sexuality that is, I think, not part of my contemporary spiritual life and it's not something I want to be part of my spiritual life. So the hermeneutic I bring you know, again, primarily as a as a as a spiritual seeker, not as an academic, is I want to have the comfort in going through all of the text in order to draw out, in order to mine the parts that are valuable for me in building a spiritual life today. Which means the misogynistic parts I tend to acknowledge and leave in the Lego bin. They're not part of my Great. building this year. Great. Let's leave it in the Lego bin. I want to build the infrastructure to be prepared for spiritual encounters. All right. And this, this question of how do we prepare is, is a vital one, right? It, even for Moses, it's um, the Ramban on, um, uh, on, on Moshe's moment at, at, at the burning bush, right? The Ramban says, um, there's some complication about Michael showing up and the divine presence and the angels. But the Rambam seems to say, or sorry, the Ramban, Nachmanides, uh, the mystic, not the not the uh, rationalist, um, says that right? That same word, hechin, prepare. Moses hadn't prepared himself for prophecy until that moment. The implication being that it what the miracle wasn't that God was in that bush. The miracle is that Moshe noticed that God was in the bush. Right. And um, one of my favorite poets, uh, more modern poet, uh, Elizabeth Barrett Browning, um, in uh, uh, epic poem, Aurora Lie, says the earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God. 
but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit round it and pluck blackberries and daub their natural faces unaware. Right? So I think she and the Rambam together are actually getting to what Moshe needed to do and what he was trying to instruct the people to do and what I think we all need to do, right? If we're hoping to encounter the divine. You know, you said before, uh, you know, to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. The preparations are, all right, how do we become spiritual hammers? How do we become Hebrew hammers? As Ooh, person, I like right? it. How do we become tools, vessels that can have an awareness of that divine presence, even when it's not as in our face as a mountain on fire with smoke and, and, uh, and noise, right? How do we become attuned to that divine presence elsewhere in the more subtle moments, in the not, you know, and even taking it down from the mountain, right? I think in my life, perhaps in yours, the moments, I, I had the tremendous salute of, um, of delivering both of my children. Obviously, my wife did the bulk of the work. Um, those moments where I put my hands, uh, where mine were the first human hands to touch these children, if I've ever had a moment where there's the divine presence, right, that was it. But that was like being hit over the head with the divine presence. I mean, how could I miss it in that moment? The, the work of being a spiritual person is finding that in the more mundane moments, not the child being born mountain on fire moments, but the grocery line, the uh, laundry, the, the the stuff of everyday life. And I don't know about you, but I find it a lot harder to find the divine there. Absolutely. Uh, I love the idea of, of preparing ourselves and to become that, to become that hammer so that the grocery store is a nail of, of, of potential connection and spirituality, because obviously, of course, it's those moments, I think, that when we look back, are what's going to add up to our spiritual accounting. Um, I love the idea that, that Yitro, as the father-in-law, sort of helps Moshe see how he can help his community do that. And, um, and I love the permission that you give that each of us or those of us in leadership roles, yeah, sometimes we help others and sometimes we go into the tent alone with our own, with our own Hevruta to work on our own spirituality. Yeah, and it's, it's vital. Uh, and very, very hard. Uh, I think anybody in any sort of leadership position knows how hard it can be. Um, the question of how do we prepare, right? All right, so, you know, the, the Ramban, um, uh, to my great frustration, says that Moshe hadn't prepared. And I remember when I read that for the first time uh, at Pardes many, many years ago, being like, okay, that this is what I'm looking for. How do I prepare, right? This is This is what I want. I want to see God in a bush. I want to sign up for the online master course in finding God in bushes. How do I do that? And um, for me, at least, one of the most important voices in helping me understand how to do this, not the only voice, but an incredibly important voice, an incredibly important voice from a textual perspective is Michael Fishbane um, from the University of Chicago uh, in an incredible book um, called Sacred Attunement. And um, he's a poetic writer. so. I don't want to quote from it too much because it's like eating eating chocolate cake that's that's too rich in your mouth without the ice cream to cut it. Um, but I, I just want to read a line and unpack it and then another line and unpack it. 
Jewish theology begins with Sinai, but God was before this event. The mysterious vitality of divine effectivity was endlessly named long before Sinai, and it just as endlessly exceeded these many formulations. So what is he saying here? God is bigger than our conception of God. God is infinite. God is endless. The mysterious vitality of divine effectivity precedes our encounter with it, our attempt to name it, right? We, we run the risk all the time in Judaism of confusing the symbol for the symbolized, right? I'll put it in, in, uh, in, in uh, try a couple of metaphors here, right? So um, I'm, I'm, for folks who can't see us, I'm holding up my wedding ring now. I'm, I'm happily married for 21 years and I have a little ring on my finger. But a couple of years ago, uh, I was showering at my gym and the ring fell off and I lost the ring and I was utterly panicked. And my wife was like, it's fine. It's a ring, like it's a, you know, whatever. It's a hundred dollar ring. You need to replace the ring. We'll replace the ring. You're still married to me, right? And I was freaking out because I was confusing the symbol, the ring, with what it's symbolizing, my marriage, right? Like I, I name my marriage with this ring, so to speak. And I think what Fishbane is saying here is, A, don't confuse our symbolizing with God, Right? Sinai itself, let alone our reading of a Parsha describing Sinai, is a marker of something, but it's something much deeper than what's represented, and it has to be. Right? It's the first part of what Fishbane is saying here. But then he gives instruction for those of us who, as much as anything else, uh, I'll speak for myself, but I, I suspect you would join me in this, as much as I'm an, as a, a spiritual seeker, a devotee of the divine, I'm also a devotee of our texts, right? I come to Judaism, I come to God through Jewish words, through Jewish books, through Jewish syntax, right? And he goes on to saying, we rely not only on our own formulations, but on those of others as well gathering them together in bundles of information. Tradition transmits what seems to work and marks off the imagined dangers. Teachers teach this inheritance and try to show how to think about its implications. So think of it this way. I think this is what Fishbane is saying, to use a different metaphor. One metaphor is not confusing the ring with my marriage. The other metaphor is not confusing the cookbook with the meal, right? So I've got a shelf of cookbooks up there. I can't eat any of them. The books point to an actual meal that I can eat. Now, if I'm a beginning chef, if I'm just starting out in the kitchen, it's probably going to be a good idea for me to just do what the book says. Follow the instructions in the cookbook. I've been in the kitchen a little while. I know how to, you know, chop things. I know how to saute things a little bit. This is someone else. This is not me, but such a person could improvise off of the recipe book, could go somewhere else. And I could be like, oh, this recipe, you know, here's a, here's a, whatever, um, 
Smitten Kitchen giving me a good indication of what works, I'm going to work with it in my own way. And I think what Fishbane is saying here is that just as Yitro taught Moshe, but then Moshe had to go and lead in his own way, we need to follow Moshe, but we also need to experience the divine in our own way. We need to understand what the tradition teaches us that works. And what works for me might not be what works for you. And it behooves us to listen to wise teachers who preceded us and said, this has worked. And at the same time, just as Moshe didn't do exactly what Yitro did, and your kids don't build the exact Lego thing every week, we need to learn from the past and build what works for us, right? Because our goal isn't to read the cookbook. The goal isn't to wear the wedding ring. The goal is to get to what those things point to, which is something bigger, something beyond, something that we experience directly. Let me stop there for a minute, and then uh, then we'll 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 see if we can wrap things up. Great. I I mean I love it. I think that I think you've given us uh, a tremendous a tremendous uh, number of things to think about that connect, but are also each individually valuable. I would say I love the cookbook analogy. And uh, when I was speaking, as you were talking, like what for me, Brent, like just avoiding Lashon Hara is like, is my spiritual way of, 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 of getting to Harsinai every day, because it's just for me, uh, you know, a way to remember that everyone is everyone is creating God and though it may feel good and feel like it's bringing you closer to someone when you have a juicy story about someone else or you're processing someone else um <laughs> my 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 throw away the cookbook and follow my own path is like every single day I show up at Harsi night every time I stop myself from telling that funny story from saying that like she said something crazy, right? And uh, and so, you know, I love Fishbane's poetic language, but I also sort of want to offer you my concrete. How do I do it? What do you think? Absolutely. I, no, absolutely. I, I think I think that's it, taking those practices, right? Um, uh, one of my teachers, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky uh, at Anshay Chesed in New York, years and years ago said, if you've learned a page of Gemara and it hasn't broken your heart, you haven't learned it right. Right. The goal isn't to master the text. The goal is to master our hearts. Right. Right. The goal is to master our hearts. The texts are incredible tools to help us do that. And I just want to pick up on one thing you said there. Right. In terms of throwing away the cookbook. I'm you know, this is where I am a I am a I don't know what I am, but I'm I, I'm not a, a, a new age guru. I'm, I'm very much a traditional rabbi in some ways. I have no interest in throwing away the books. I have an interest in being selective what of the books I want to take in my life, but there's tremendous value in our Jewish cookbooks. And I don't mean the, the, the cookbooks in the kitchen, but that too, right? There's tremendous value. And I know you would say the same thing, right? It's in how we read them, but not at all to throw them out. Well, throw them away because because they're written on your heart. You don't need the physical copy. But now we're, now we're just spiraling into uh, <laughs> analogies. So Analogies upon analogies, a good Jewish practice. So let me let me bring us back, perhaps by way of closing, to where we began, which um, is Psalm 19, right? Um, so the psalm begins 
by talking about the divine presence in the natural world, right? That first line, Hashemayim misparim kavod el, yadav magid harakia, right? The natural world tells the story of the divine directly, beautifully, powerfully, right? Then the psalm ends, May, right, and note the conditional there. May the words of my mouth and the prayer of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, right? So the psalm begins with the direct experience of God's creation and saying those tell of God's glory directly. Now we end by acknowledging human language. We speak in words, we communicate through generations through words. You and I read books written by people who died hundreds of years before we were born, right? That only happens because there's language that allows us to transmit. The power of language is that it can transmit the wisdom of prior generations, the wisdom of other people. Liability of language is that it can transmit the mistakes and the errors of prior generations and other people. And so the psalm ends, I think, with an acknowledgement that the preparation, right, that Moshe wants the people to do, that Gitra wants Moshe to do, is necessary to prepare people, necessary to learn from prior generations, also carries a risk. It might not be acceptable. The words of my mouth might not be accurate. And to recognize that when we experience divinity directly in our bodies, in the birth of a child, in the mountain on fire, that's one thing. When we experience the divine as I, and I'm sure you have mediated through other people, through words, through language, through books, we should experience that, but hold it loosely. Recognize that they actually might not be acceptable. They might have gotten something wrong, right? Drink them in, but also recognize our own knowledge outside of what we take in. Let me stop there. Beautiful. All right, and we're 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 short on time here, but I'm I, I know this was a this was a lot, but I don't know if there are thoughts, questions, reactions before we wrap things up. I want to thank you. I think this was like a really powerful idea. I think uh, I think you took us through. I mean. What I'm what I'm mostly leaving with um, is this idea of 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 how do we um, you know because I think your leadership point is profound uh, and I think it speaks to some of our audience but I think the question of um, how do you find Sinai in the mundane and how do you do that your way that works for you with um, in conversation and in obligation with our tradition is a deep question, Brent. I'm not sure that we get a chance to ask it very often. So I'm so grateful that you you pushed us to think about it. Well, uh, I, I'm glad this resonated with you. I hope that you and I and uh, uh, everyone is able to use the wisdom of the tradition to inform their own hearts, to, to seek the divine in their experience, in their lives, in their bodies. Shabbat shalom. Thank you. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Look forward to learning with you again soon. Absolutely. 
Thank you again for downloading this podcast, a production of Pardes North America. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Spotify for the latest episodes of the Pardes Parsha podcast.